If rule breakers don't challenge the status quo, businesses stagnate, innovation dies, and boredom reigns supreme. There's no doubt that breaking rules have produced some of, if not all, of society's biggest breakthroughs. But you can't break the rules until you know how to properly play the game. For most people, the rules of the game are only learned with patience and experience. There's no such thing as a shortcut. Rules are made to be broken. The real question is, when? Welcome, listeners, to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to Subject Matter listeners. This is episode four and I am Ben Bradbury, as always, joined by my excellent co-host, Tom Worcester. Tom, how are you doing today? Ben, I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Our company, Lunchbox, finally accepts pre-orders starting December 11th and we are incredibly excited to get our filming, marketing, and initial market penetration done. We are unbelievably excited to see 10 months of culminated work finally see the light of day. Exciting times, Tom. Well, let me ask you a question. In all the chaos and calamity that's undoubtedly been unfolding and all the progress, what I want to know is, what quote have you been pondering this week? What's a quote that's really stuck with you? You know, what's funny is uh, kind of also in the lunchbox tangent, early on in the formation of the company, I had a kind of great conversation with Nate Checkets of Roan, who uh, now is a, the head of a large men's activewear company. And he challenged me, looked me dead in the eye when I first told him about the idea of a better festival bag. And he said, Tom, I challenge you to think bigger. And so every single day I've woken up with, the, uh, with kind of the question to myself, how can I think bigger than I currently am? And that's exactly what we're doing here on Subject Matter, hopefully, is helping all of you listening challenge your assumptions and break free of independent thinking. And the quote that I've been pondering this week is from none other than ex-American President Theodore Roosevelt. And the quote is, what such a man needs is not courage, but nerve control, cool-headedness. This he can get only by practice. And this is the discipline of life, ladies and gentlemen. This is realizing that all good things are born out of experience and, as we'll debate on today's episode, breaking rules as well. And if we're looking for a rule breaker, then we need look no further than Amelia Earhart. And this is the fabled female pilot who was made all the more famous by her unexplained disappearance on July 2nd, 1937. Amelia Earhart would set her first record in her yellow two-seater biplane that she affectionately called the Canary by becoming the first woman ever to rise to an altitude of 14,000 feet. She was showered with accolades. Congress even awarded her the Distinguished Flying Cross, the first of its kind ever given to a woman. Now, Amelia Earhart was a woman who wanted independence and valued independence and her suffrage above all else. When she was married to the publisher and explorer, George Putnam, she unconventionally referred to her marriage as a partnership with dual control. <laughs> Leave it to a pilot to put her marriage right into cockpit terminology. <laughs> Very nice, Tom. Well, what made Earhart go down in history was her attempt to become the first woman to fly around the world, which ended in her disappearance. And this was by all naming conventions when she would break all rules that came before her. But there's also kind of another side of this story, right, Ben? Because before Amelia Earhart actually had the opportunity to fly around the world, 
she had the chance to be the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. And not exactly under favorable conditions, too. Her first choice backed out. Her chaperones, Bill Stoltz and Slim Gordon, would actually fly the plane instead of her. And they both got paid a lot of money. Well, she didn't get a dime, right? And this is also ignoring the fact that she very well may die. This is an untested flight. So I can imagine that offer specifically being incredibly offensive to Amelia, right? No pay, infringing on her suffrage as a woman, which is something that she held virtually paramount, and a high chance of death. And despite of all that, she said yes. She said yes to the risk, and she said yes to these, these kind of crazy situations. And there's an interesting parallel here with Hannibal, who led the Carthaginian army to one of the greatest feats of military history by following a similarly risky path. The Romans made the assumption that the northern mountains of the Alps functioned as a natural barrier for their empire. Who, they asked, would ever cross such treacherous terrain? But for Hannibal, not so. He went head on. In 218 BC, his Carthaginian army made a move that nobody expected. He marched his troops, which included cavalry and African war elephants, across a high pass in the Alps to strike at the heart of Rome itself from the north of the Italian peninsula. That was a risk that needed to be taken. But Tom, I've got to say that there's no foundation in that argument. It's missing a critical piece. And that is that Hannibal couldn't just walk up to the Alps and spot this opportunity like some kind of military clairvoyant. He served four years within the Carthaginian army before he was able to pull off this genius maneuver. And this doesn't just go for Hannibal, Tom. This goes for every great military commander that has ever won a battle, let alone a war. Every military commander knows that you can't pull off a genius victory without first understanding basic battle mechanics. Napoleon was infamous for planning every single one of his military campaigns, although none of his battles, in his own words, ever quite went to plan. But as we know, any plan is better than no plan. And without experience, you aren't able to create that plan in the first place. Put simply, you have to walk before you can run. And it's the exact same with Amelia. She knew that to have a chance of breaking the rules one day by flying around the world, she would have to jump through some hoops first. She was a woman who valued her independence above all else, but she knew in this man's world in the 20th century that she was going to have to prove herself. And her dream could one day be accomplished, but only after playing the game first. The game is interesting, Ben, because what if you're broken by the same rules that you've created for yourself? You then become the very thing that you set out to destroy. In the classic words of Harvey Dent, (laughs) you either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Shout out to all the Batman fans. Damn right. (laughs) Facebook is a great example of this too. When they started, Mark Zuckerberg was all about speed. The motto was to move fast and break things. But then we had the world of fake news. We had the scandal behind Cambridge Analytica. We had the ethical issues behind manipulating voter behavior, all of which culminated in Zuckerberg breaking his rule-breaking approach, violently backfiring as he lost $16.8 billion of value in one day after his quarterly earnings report massively missed the mark. 
So Facebook's rule-breaking approach only got them so far. And in fact, they had to evolve just to survive. And that's why Facebook's motto today is not move fast and break things. It's still move fast. They still have culminated that speed. But the second part is different. It's move fast with stable infrastructure. Now, this hardly rings true for the same cavalier attitude that was once associated with Facebook blazing a trail all through Palo Alto and Silicon Valley. But their first set of rules only got them so far. Facebook realized that the game has changed. And much to their detriment, they didn't realize this soon enough. Facebook didn't just have to break the rules then. They had to change the very beast that they had created. And the creation element here is really specifically interesting because it begs the question and the understanding that you need specific industry context before you can just break the rules. There's a huge difference between extremely nimble companies like Facebook and highly institutionalized organizations such as the intelligence world. For a moment, let's look at the story of Carmen Medina. Carmen Medina was a CIA analyst in the 1990s with a radical idea. And she was challenging that the way that information was being transmitted within intelligence agencies was not good enough within the governmental flow to make a difference. Her proposal was Intellipedia, where she wanted to essentially assemble all the different documents from the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, and any other ancillary intelligence service and put them into one source. When she first proposed this idea, she was completely rebuffed. Who was this two years into the CIA analyst who wanted to put everything in one place? Wasn't that a massive security risk? Her initial efforts failed miserably. And actually, she was even assigned to a different department so nobody would hear this crazy idea ever again. Carmen didn't give up, however. She toiled for three years and continued to build domain authority within her space where she did her job, did it well, and kept her head down. A couple years later, When it came time to kind of redress this issue, she had influencers in the room where she had other people bringing the idea up. And then once she was in herself a position of more authority to support it, she was able to say, listen, I think this is a great idea backed by the fact that she'd been within the system for three, four, five years, right? And so it was playing by the rules and understanding the game that let her build the authority that she needed to present such a radical thought that was Intellipedia, which today is accessed over 50 million times daily by the Joint Intelligence Force. So to recap, the first time she failed because she didn't have enough authority in the space, she spent a couple of years moving departments and building credibility and then created that authority in a really meaningful way. That exact same principle, Tom, of being able to build authority in your department isn't something that's limited to Carmen Medina either. This is something that you, listener, can apply in your working life as well. If you need to progress in your career and you're being stagnated by somebody, then there's no reason why you can't build up social capital within your company. You want to get that promotion help out the director who is directly managing you. Make their life easier. Prove yourself. Break some of your own rules within your company and maybe refine some processes. And then it'll be easier for you to have some mobility inside your organization. Absolutely. And social capital is paramount here. And someone who is just as impactful as Carmen Medina, but equally as unknown, is Theodore Vale. 
Theodore Vail was the president of the Bell Telephone System from about 1910 to the mid-20s. At the time, telephone companies were all run by the government. All across Europe, governments were running these telephone companies without much issue at all. It was a government enterprise. Also at the time, part of North America that Bell System serves, along with the two Canadian provinces, Quebec and Ontario, that were under its jurisdiction, were at the time the only area in the world in which telecom was privatized. So how did Theodore Vail shift how Bell Systems affect this world in a privatized telecom economy? And the answer was not by measuring their performance by for-profit performance, but by service fulfillment. He put people first. Bell realized that the only way to make his business stand more in the interest of the public than a government agency could was to satisfy the public and build that social capital. So shortly after he took over the system, the commitment became, our business is service. Our business is for you. So in the early 20th century, this radical customer-centric approach was deemed unthinkable. By all standards, Vail was a rule breaker. He managed to keep his telecom company private in an era of nationalization and set the tone for the next generation of what companies would do in putting customers first. It was a radical new approach. And that's a very noble statement, Tom. But again, we're missing a key piece here. It feels like we're putting the cart behind before, sorry, the horse. The cart behind the horse would be extremely logical. And that's because Theodore Vail could not have made these key decisions without understanding the telecoms industry infrastructure first. It didn't take him just a few years to build the necessary authority, but a few decades. This is because Theodore Vail started his career studying telegraphy, beginning as a manager of his local telegraphy office in New York. He had been in the trenches, learning his industry, working as a clerk of the railway mail service between Omaha and Ogden, and actually fought tooth and nail to get the railway mail through what could have been a catastrophic snow blockage. And it was only when he did this that he caught the eye of his superiors, and then he began working at a post office, rising to head clerk, and eventually becoming the general superintendent of the Railway Mail Service in Washington, D.C. And it was only when he reached this point that he would then have the opportunity to break the rules and then have the opportunity to exercise his strategic muscle. Just like Carmen Medina and Amelia Earhart, Theodore Vail had to wait for his chance. Sure, he was a messiah when it came to reforming the telecommunications industry and privatizing them. But it was only after figuring out the rules that he could break them and push Bell Systems to new, totally unprecedented heights. So listener, some of you will be breaking rules as we speak, and some of you may not for a while. That doesn't necessarily mean that will always be the case. After all, the only true constant is change. And doing the same thing over and over again is, after all, the definition of insanity. The only thing that's for certain is that rule-breaking must occur. The question is when. And by applying patience coupled with a desire to do things differently, we can ensure that one day we won't be stifled by the status quo and can leave a legacy not of regulation, but innovation. But as always, the choice, dear listener, is up to you.
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Subject Matter. As always, we hope you have enjoyed it. And if you have enjoyed this episode, we would love if you could subscribe over on iTunes. We're trying to get into the new and upcoming section of the podcast industry. And if you subscribe, it increases our chances of doing it. Apparently, that's what the latest spin on the iTunes tarot cards has told me anyway. So thank you all for listening. Tom, I'll hand it over to you to close. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on Subject Matter.